Ephesians chapter 4. Once you've found that, if you would stand for the reading of God's Word, we'll be in verse 11, down through verse number 17 for our reading, and then we'll back up to verse number 1 once we get into the first point of the message and work from there. Give me a minute to get wired up here. I'm sorry about this. All right. Verse 11 says, And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the Father and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up uh, into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, for whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working and the measure of every part maketh increase of the body into the edifying of itself in love. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth not or walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. This is Vision Sunday night, and we're going to look at this title, Let the Church Arise. And as a church, we have a big, big work in front of us. We've been called to a big work, and we need to know what that is, and we need to be laser-focused in doing it. We need to be together in the fight, side by side, fighting the good fight. The Bible says in Matthew, uh, Jesus told his disciples, he said, the gates, speaking of the church, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Gates are around hell, not to keep, uh, not to, they're not there as an offensive weapon, they're there as a defensive weapon. They're there to keep people from getting out. It's our job to attack the gates of hell, to get, keep as many people from going in there as possible. It's our duty to not only see people saved, but to see people grow in the Lord. It's our duty to grow ourselves in the Lord. And so we're going to look at this topic tonight. Let the church arise. Let's pray. Lord, help us. Help us to, Lord, recalibrate ourselves spiritually. And, Lord, be focused on what you've called us in our lives to be and do. And, Lord... My prayer tonight is that your word would do the speaking to the hearts of each one here, each one listening online. And God, that you would help us to humble our hearts, see areas of growth, give us a vision. Give us a vision as a church. Give us a vision as individuals that make up the church. Lord, may we be that body that's jointly fit together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth. May we be that body that maketh increase under the edifying of itself in love. And Lord, may we each do our part to help our brothers and sisters in the Lord become all they can be and should be. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Vision Sunday. Vision Sunday. Uh, each year we take the first Sunday's evening and cast a fresh vision for the church. But what does that mean exactly? Um, someone with the vision is someone who knows uh, where they are, where they are going, and they are passionately working to get there. Let me say that again. Someone with a vision is someone who uh, knows 
where they are going, and they are passionately moving in that direction. Uh, they are pushing aside distractions. They're laser-focused on where they're going, and they're going to get there, and they're going to try to lead as many people to go along with them as they can. If you could turn over to Proverbs chapter 29. We're going to look at two verses in the 29th chapter of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 29, and we'll begin in verse number 18, and then we're going to back up and look at verse number 2. Verse 18 is a verse that many of us here are familiar with, and if you've been in church any length of time, you've heard this verse used many times. So let's look at it here. Where there is no vision, the people perish. Look at the last part of the verse. But he that keepeth the law, happy is he. Where there is no vision, the people perish. But he that keepeth the law, happy is he. When we follow God's law, he gives us a vision for our future. You see the tie there? When we are obedient to Scripture, we're submissive, subservient to Scripture, He gives us a vision for ourselves and our church that is crystal clear. Back up to verse number 2. Proverbs chapter 29, look at verse number 2. The Bible says, When the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But when the wicked beareth rule, the people mourn. When the righteous are in charge, and the righteous are leading, when the righteous are um, uh, the influencers, people rejoice. When wicked people lead, there isn't so much rejoicing. Now, to be clear, as the pastor of White Oak Baptist Church, I'm not a king. I've seen pastors who think they're an Old Testament king. God's not called any pastor to be an Old Testament king. He's called them to be a New Testament shepherd. Kings drive the sheep. Shepherds lead and gently guide the sheep. What am I called to be as the pastor? I'm called to be your chief minister or servant. One of the roles of the pastor is to be righteous. One of the roles of the pastor is to lean on God for that vision so that he can lead the church. Each week, I labor in the Word. I read. I study. I meditate. I pray. But maybe as important as any of the rest of them, I hope. What is it that I hope for? My hope is that those listening will not just be hearers, but will go forth and be doers. My prayer is that the Spirit of God will take the Word of God and make a change in your heart and in your life. When I was a young preacher, I'd get up and preach and I'd think, man, I've got an angle on the truth. I'm going to preach this sermon. And man, people are going to flood down to the altar and they're going to leave and their whole life will revolutionize. I mean, totally change. And you know, after three, four, five sermons of that not happening, I had to adjust my expectations. I understand that maybe it didn't quite work that way. But I still hope. I hope that every time I get up and preach the Bible, not my opinion, the Bible, that the Bible will make a change in your life. 
we are calling this Vision Sunday, but the truth is, every time I or a life group leader or guest preacher gets up, opens the Bible, preaches the Bible, what are they doing? They're casting a vision for how your life could be better if you would take those biblical precepts and apply them to your life. Every preaching service is a vision service. Every preaching service, if it's a biblical message. Now, the big vision cannot be accomplished until we buy into the little visions cast before us every time God's Word speaks to you. And so I would like to ask you a question. When you come to church, are you going through the motions, or do you come in with the desire to actually change? Because if you're just going through the motions, you're not going to change. The truth is, even if you come in with a heart to change, change is still hard. I can't tell you how many times I've kneeled at an altar to pray and went home and nothing in my life changed one iota. Anybody relate with that? You want to. You come to the altar and you kneel or maybe you stand in your seat there and you pray and you say, Lord, help me to make this change. And it never materializes. But if you don't come in the door with a heart that's desiring change, it's not going to happen. Now the reality is, that you have to commit to change many, many times before that change finally takes place. At least oftentimes that's the case. Now, leading God's flock, which is what God has called the pastor of a church to be, um, leading God's flock can oftentimes feel like herding cats. You ever tried to herd cats? You ever been around a bunch of cats and try to get them all going in the same direction? Good luck. I've got one cat, and I can't get it to go where I want. Cats do what they want to do. And um, even when you try to hold the cat, he tries to scratch you or bite you. They're going to go wherever they want. Sometimes leading people in a church, that's how it feels. You get bit. You get scratched at. You know, you don't handle something just right or someone just right, and and, uh, they never trust you again. They don't want to have anything to do with you again. Why are people like herding cats? Because many people are ignoring God's Word and living life their own way. Their heart is not tender toward God's vision for their lives. Watch this now. When enough of us buy into God's vision for us individually, then synergistically, we will begin to accomplish God's vision for us corporately. Corporately. If enough individuals will step up their game and buy into God's vision for them individually, watch out. Corporately, we will be a force to be reckoned with. Now, I cannot make you submit to God's word. I can't. As a preacher, I shared a few minutes ago about having to take my lumps and Learn that not everything I preach is going to necessarily change everyone's life every time. I had to learn that the hard way. I've had to learn the hard way that I can't change anybody. I can't even change my wife. And I I live with her. I'm, I'm her husband. I'm her leader. 
Many, many times in, in our marriage, she's had to get on her knees and pray that God would change my stubborn heart over something, and I've had to pray the same for her. I cannot make you submit to God's word uh, uh, and God's will for your life, and you cannot make me or anyone else for that matter submit either. But we can each commit to do our own part. The book of Ephesians, we're in Ephesians chapter 4 tonight, the book of Ephesians is all about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Every bit of Ephesians is about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now watch this. If you have a Bible and you have room somewhere in a margin to write this down, let me encourage you to write this down. I went verse by verse through Ephesians on a Wednesday night when I first got here as pastor and in my study of the book. Here's what I learned. I don't know if I got this out of a commentary or if the Lord gave it to me in study. I don't really remember, but I have this written down in the margin of my Bible. Ephesians 1, chapters 1 through 3 is the gospel explained. The first three chapters is the gospel explained. Chapters 4 through 6 is the gospel exercised. The gospel exercised. As you read it, what you learn is once the gospel takes hold of your life, there are some changes that happen. You become a new creature. You know, corrupt communication ceases to proceed out of your mouth. Anger is no longer a part of who you are. And all of the uh, chapter 4 and chapter 5 go into great detail talking about that behavior that does not belong to a Christian. And rather it's replaced with a tender heart and kindness and a forgiving spirit. And uh, the fruits of the spirit begin to develop and take place. You have a marriage uh, that pleases the Lord as you buy into the marital roles and the parental roles and the submissive roles that a child has toward the parents. And uh, you have the right behavior toward your employees or your employer, chapter 6 lays out. And then you get down to where we were this, this morning, chapter 6, and you get down to the armor of God. Well, what is the armor of God? It is the gospel of Jesus Christ lived out every day. Boy, it bears repeating. The, the uh, salvation, or rather um, the Christian life, is uh, uh, rather uh, the gospel is not the diving board, it is the swimming pool. The gospel is not the diving board, it is the swimming pool. So when we get to chapter 4, what are we looking at? We're looking at the church corporately and individually living out a vision of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now anyone who has spent any time in the New Testament can see that the purpose of the church is the execution of the Great Commission. And this is a fourfold command. Go, preach the gospel, baptize, disciple. Go, preach the gospel, baptize, disciple. Hey, here's a quote you can write down somewhere. Disciples make disciples. Disciples make disciples. If you claim to be a disciple and you're not making disciples, then you're not a disciple. You've never led a soul to Christ. You've never worked to help someone grow in their faith. And you're just kind of plunking along through the Christian life, calling yourself a disciple. You are not a disciple. Disciples make disciples. Our church is happiest. Our church is in its full stride. Our church is... Uh, is, is plugging along with all cylinders firing when we are doing these four things well. Go, preach the gospel, baptize, disciple. Go, 
preach the gospel, baptize, disciple. You can call our church a four-cylinder engine. Go, preach the gospel, baptize, disciple. Hey, those baptistry waters need to be stirring a little bit more than they have been. We need more people in getting enrolled in the discipleship class. You need to be going and finding people and discipling them. We have a church full of people on Sunday morning who are uh, relatively new to the faith and need to grow and just need somebody to come and put their arm around them and say, hey, could I get you involved in the discipleship program? One thing has never been clear. The world is evil. Sin is abundant. The stage is set, being set for the great tribulation where God will pour out His wrath upon the earth. Jesus is coming back soon. It may be this year that He does. I wouldn't at all be surprised if Jesus comes back in 2021. Christians who do not have a vision. Christians who are just bouncing around like a pinball through life. Christians who are busy being part of the world instead of reaching the world will be left with their head hung low and a heart full of regret when Jesus comes back to get them. Why don't Baptist Church, let's have a vision for what God can do with us. Let's get busy with the Great Commission. Let's look at four visions that Ephesians 4 lays out for the Christians who make up the church as we consider this title, Let the Church Arise. Vision number one, a vision of unity. A vision of unity. Look at Ephesians chapter 4 and verse number 1. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you, that ye walk worthy of the vocation whereby or wherewith ye are called. Look there, walk worthy, walk worthy. With all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit, unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Verse 4, there is one body and one Spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord. One faith, one baptism. Notice the unity here. One God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Look down at verse 13. Verse 13. It says there, till we, notice that word all, till we all. That word is plural. We all come in the unity of the faith, unity of the faith. We, we, we funnel in a plural into this unity of the faith. We go from a plurality of individuals. We enter into a unity, a singular unity of the faith. And look what happens. And of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a singular, perfect man, singular. We go from plural to singular. A perfect man unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. We are to be locked arms. Uh, we are to be of one mind, one heart, one faith. And what happens is, wow, great things happen. Well, let me give you a letter A and a B right, uh, right together. Notice letter A is lowliness. Lowliness. And this is humility. You know, there cannot be unity in a church where there's pride present in the church. Can't be. You know, people um, uh, say and do things that hurt my feelings. You ever had somebody hurt your feelings? I've hurt people's feelings before. This week I was, um, I'll be generic here, but I was uh, casting out a generic complaint And that generic complaint was connected to a person. I was not complaining about the person. I was complaining about something more generic, but it happened to be around a person. Lo and behold, that person was standing around the corner from where I was standing. I hurt that person. 
You know what that you know where that offense came from? My pride. I shouldn't have been complaining to begin with. Lack of humility on my part. You know what that does? That disrupts unity. That hurts. You ever had somebody talk about you behind your back? Can I tell you I have? I've had people in this church talk about me behind my back. And I don't go looking for it. I don't go investigating to see who's doing it, but sometimes it just makes its way back to me. I don't generally do anything about it, but it hurts. We, we're going to have... We're going to have unity in this church. We need some humility in this church. You know how ridiculous it is for me to complain about someone behind their back when I myself have my own shortcomings and double standards and hypocrisies? You know when I call someone a piece of dirt, I am a piece of dirt, calling a piece of dirt a piece of dirt. heart is deceitful, desperately wicked above all things. I could stand up here tonight and I could lay out some big vision for our church. Until we're able to all get along, it's a waste of my time. Why don't Baptist Church, if we're going to become a perfect man singular, has to be some lowliness has to be some humility. Letter B, notice long-suffering. Look at verse 2, Ephesians 4. The Bible says, With all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another with love. Lowliness is humility. Long-suffering is grace. What do you do when you find out someone's been talking about you behind your back? How do you handle it? You go let them have it? I'm going to tell them. It's tempting, isn't it? What do you do when someone just is mean to your face? You show grace? You see, unity can't happen unless we're willing to show grace. The Bible, or Jesus said, Woe unto him that committeth offense. He went on to say offenses will come. Guess what? It ought to be my goal to never offend any of you. But I can't hold everyone to a standard that they're never going to do something that will ever offend me. Because people are going to offend me, and I hate to say it, but I'm going to offend you sometimes too. So here's how we handle this. If you offend me, I'm going to show you grace. And if I offend you, I ask you to show me grace. Vision of unity. Vision of unity. Ephesians 4.32 says that we're to be tender-hearted. We're to forgive one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Jesus himself said that if you can't forgive one another their trespasses... And God's not going to forgive you your trespasses. Oh, 
Can you imagine going to God in heaven and saying, I did this, this, and this wrong, forgive me. And God just kind of looks at you and shakes his head and says, no. Not until you forgive your brother, your sister. Until you've totally forgiven them, I'm holding it against you. Oh. Why don't Baptist Church, we need a vision of unity. Now, this calendar year, the book of the Bible we're going to be going through on Sunday evening, verse by verse, is the book of Acts. Stand for Jesus is our theme on Sunday morning. And we're going to see in the book of Acts how they took a strong stand for Jesus and the explosive power of the gospel that comes from that. You know, uh, there was some headbutting that went on between the people in Acts. They had to show humility and grace, lowliness and long-suffering. What are Christians called to do? Look at verse number 1. They're called to walk worthy of the vocation, walk worthy of their calling. What are Christians called to do? Don't take my word for it. Take the scripture. Look at verse 2. The end of verse 2. What are Christians called to do? They're called to forbear one another in love. What are Christians called to do? Don't take my word for it. Let the word of God speak to you. Look at um, uh, uh, look look with me at um, uh, let's see verse number three. We're called to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. The unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. We are called to have unity. What are Christians called to do? Look at 4 down through verse 6. We're to share in one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. Seven items listed there. That's unity. What are Christians called to do? They're called to come in the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. What are Christians called to do? Scripture tells us Christians are called to measure up to the stature of the fullness of Christ. You and I are never more like Christ than than when we get along with our siblings in Christ. I have a vision for White Oak Baptist Church. What is it? That we would all get along and love each other. Is that too much to ask? Is it too much to ask for me to say that we not badmouth and gossip and slander each other. You know, I, I see videos of yesteryear of armies during World War II, the, the men in an infantry walking in step. You know what they're not doing? They're not bickering and fighting with each other on the battlefield. They start bickering and fighting with each other on the battlefield. They've lost. It's over. When we start bickering and fighting with each other, we've lost and we've given a victory to Satan. Whatever it is, whatever the hot-button issues are, my vision for White Oak Baptist Church is that we would all get along and love each other, that we would forgive those who have hurt us, that we would repent of the evil we've done against others, that we would cease from backbiting and gossiping and slandering, that we would all realize that everyone is sinful And none of us are really all that much better than the next guy. We will never accomplish any vision until we learn to dwell together in unity. Number one, a vision of unity. Number two, a vision for ministry. A vision for ministry. Look at verse number seven. 
Ephesians chapter 4, look at verse number 7. The Bible says, But unto every one of us is given grace, according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, uh, what is it uh, but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that ascended up uh, far above the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Now, I would love to take the time to talk about verse 8 and 9 and the ascending and descending and what all of that means. The message tonight does not allow me uh, to do that. Another time we'll go through and explain that. But let me give you two thoughts below number two here. Number, letter A, notice the word gifts. Gifts. Look back at verse 7 of, of Ephesians 4. It says, But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. The moment you got saved, Christian, God gave you a spiritual gift. You did not have it before you got saved. You got it when you got saved. And it is to be developed in you in order to perfect the church, in order to build the church. Well, what are some of the gifts? Verse 11 gives us a a limited list of the gifts. Other books uh, of the epistles give us a more complete list. But let's look at verse 11 here. It says, And he gave some apostles and prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Now, all of these people uh, have the same duty. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And what is that? All of them share in the same responsibility, and that is the propagation of the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world. But you know what? All of these people come at it from a different angle. All of these people bring something different to make it happen. Apostle's not the same as a prophet, and that's not the same as an evangelist, and that's not the same as a pastor, and that's not the same as a teacher, but all of them want to accomplish the same thing. Now, um, I'll just say here that um, uh, no one here is called to do ministry. No two people here are called to do ministry the same way. We're not. You go throughout the Bible, and you look at all the characters in the Bible, and you know what? God had an individual plan for each and every one of them. No two people were given the same plan. So, your plan, God's plan for your life, is different than God's plan for the person next to you. It's different than uh, God's plan for me. It's like a snowflake. They're all unique and individual and different, and God has a different plan for each of us. And so the gift He gives you is a little bit different. But can I tell you that the end goal is the same, and that is the Great Commission. Letter B, notice, goal. Goal. We looked at gifts Let's look at the goal. Look at verse 12 of Ephesians 4. Why does God give us gifts? So that we would have a vision for ministry. Look at verse 12. For, here's the goal, the perfecting of the saints, the work of the ministry, the edifying of the body of Christ. We use our gifts to perfect the saints. All of the all of those of you in here that teach one of our life groups, whether it's current or you're on the docket to do it in the future or you've done it in the past, whether you work with children or teenagers or adults, you know what you're doing when you step up and agree to take that class? You're agreeing to take the gift that God has given you and you're agreeing to use that to perfect the saints. 
to mature the saints, to help them grow closer to the Lord. And I thank you for that contribution. And never ever dread being asked to teach a class. Never ever dread feeling like, oh, where am I going to fit this in my life? I've got, uh, I've got, to, I've got to do this and I'm going to shoehorn it in somewhere. No, it ought to be a big deal because you're helping to bring people closer to the Lord. Why are we given these gifts? For the perfection of the saints, yes, but also to do the work of the ministry. To do the work of the ministry. Now, not everybody is called to full-time Christian service. But everyone is called to serve God full-time. You're called to be a full-time Christian. And you're never to take a break from that. And there's work to be done around the church. And God gave you gifts to contribute to the ministries here. And make them go and go and go. Somebody came to me recently and said, Pastor, I'd love for us to start this ministry at the church. Pastor, do you think we could get this particular ministry up and going? And I looked at him and I said, man, I would love to have that particular ministry up and going. The problem with getting that ministry up and going is that I don't have someone who's passionate about running that ministry who's also qualified. What if all, listen, we have a lot of talent in this church. We have a lot of talent in this church. What if all of those who attended this church called this church their church home? What if all of those people took the gifts that God had given them and fully gave them to the work of the ministry here? Imagine what we could do. Imagine what we could accomplish. Imagine the people we could reach. But until people decide to give their gifts toward the goal then we lack a vision for ministry. What are we called to do? We're called to edify the body of Christ. I want to take a moment here and say thank you to all of you who have written uh, get well cards and uh, uh, letters of encouragement to our elderly in our church who are struggling with their health. I want to take a moment and thank all of you who drop off uh, sermon CDs and gifts and encouragement to the elderly in our church or write thank you letters to those who are sick or birthday cards to those who are having a birthday. Those of you that see someone missing in church and you send them a, a kind text message or you place a phone call to them or drop a letter in the mail. What are you doing? You're using your gifts to, to edify the body of Christ, to help the goal. Let me just say this here too. There's a whole lot of people who are not present right now in body who call this their church home because of the coronavirus. And listen, God's had to work with me on this. And forgive me if I'm being too transparent here. The Lord's had to work with me on this. Uh, there have been times where I've got frustrated and my spirit's gotten a little sideways. And I've just wanted people to come back to church. And I've wanted people to drop it and, and get here and come. And the Lord's had to say to me, listen, they're coming at it from a different perspective than you are. And you need to be patient with them. And you need to love on them. And you need to care for them. And listen, White Oak Baptist Church, we all need to care for those who call this their church home and they're not here. How about this? How about if the people who aren't here right now because of the virus, how about they got a barrage of phone calls and text messages this week of love and kindness and encouragement. Maybe that would help them uh, feel connected to our church and loved by our church. And when the time is right, they wouldn't even hesitate to come back. You know what Satan likes to do? He likes to get us isolated and then he pounces on us to destroy us. These people who are out of church right now, they have a valid reason to not be here. They have a concern that's keeping them from being here. And it isn't a fear-led 
decision. It's a, a decision they've come to through much prayer and time and consideration. They're either uh, uh, have a health they're either their own health is compromised or they live with someone whose health is compromised and they have decided that right now is not the time to be here. They don't need us judging them. They need us loving on them. Instead of sending them some cryptic, judgmental text message, how about if we just showed them we genuinely love them? Edifying the body of Christ. Boy, let's not lose one family out of our church because of COVID-19. A vision of unity. Tonight, what I'm asking is that God would renew your vision. He would renew your commitment. He would give you a fresh vision, a commitment to unity, a vision of ministry. Have you been kind of resting on your laurels? Are you not taking the work of the ministry as serious as you ought to? Number three, notice, a vision of maturity. A vision of maturity. Look at verse number 14 of Ephesians chapter 4. The Bible says that we henceforth be no more children. Look at that. Be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie and wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love, look here, may grow up into him in all things, which is the head even Christ, from whom the, look at the maturity here, whole body fitly joined together and compacted uh, or developed by that which every joint supplieth. Now we're seeing that hand-eye coordination coming in, that sub, the, the, the subsupplience, the, 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 the need felt by every joint coming together and functioning properly, that growing up according to the effectual working in the measure of every part. Maketh, look here, increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Letter A, notice discernment, discernment. Uh, If we're going to mature, then God's going to need to grow our discernment. Look at verse 14. It says that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro. That means that we're persuaded real easy. We're we're over here for a little while, and then someone else gets our ear, and and we're over here for a little while. We believe this, and then we go over here and we believe that. And we get over here with this crowd, and we act like this, and we get over here with this crowd, and we decide to act like that. And we're we're children. We're tossed to and fro. It says there, it continues, and carried about with every wind of doctrine. Be careful. Someone comes along with a new teaching. Probably, if it hasn't been taught at this point, you ought to really have a skeptical ear toward it. You really ought to say, well, the church has been established now for over 2,000 years. If it hasn't been taught by now, probably shouldn't start be, uh, getting taught. Someone comes along, they've got some fresh angle, some fresh teaching. You know what Solomon said? He said there's nothing new under the sun. Nothing new in the sun. I would love to be able to get up here and take the Bible and open to some passage that no one's ever read or studied or known anything about and preach some great truth that you've never heard. And man, you go, oh, pastor, that's phenomenal. But the truth is that passage probably doesn't exist. You be careful about someone who wants to pull you to the side and say, well, let's look at it this way. I think maybe we've been teaching it wrong. We need that discernment. That discernment. Look back at verse 14. The rest of the verse says, By the slight of men and cunning craftiness. You ever watched a magician who's good at his craft make a ball disappear into thin air or 
uh, make you pull a, a card out of the deck and he can tell you what it is. You know what that is? That sleight of hand. That sleight of hand. There's no magic. Yeah, that's, just a, that's just an illusion. Boy, some people are that way with doctrine. It's time for us to gain wisdom, to gain wisdom, and to know what we believe and why we believe it. Let her be noticed deception. The Bible says in verse 14, the end of the verse, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. I am amazed at how gullible people are. Just amazed. Do you know somebody came in here the other day and wrote gullible on the ceiling of our, uh, of our church? Some of you are looking up to see. Someone wrote gullible on the ceiling up here. Oh, some of you look. People are gullible. They believe anything and everything they're told. Um, it was Hitler's regime. I think it was his propaganda guy. But Hitler's regime was famous for the quote, if you tell a lie big enough, loud enough, and often enough, the people will believe it. Let me just again encourage you all to shut off the news. Turn it off. Quit watching, who are the names? Hannity, um, Tucker Carlson, um, Jake Tapper, um, Rush Limbaugh. Shut that trash off. You say, well, Pastor, some of these guys, let me tell you, they, they, they really got it figured out. And, and they're watchdogs, and we need to listen. We need to know. Listen, this is what you need to know right here. Get in the Bible. Be righteous. The Lord heals a righteous nation, not a politically a nation that's got their politics figured out. I'm not saying there isn't a place in time to know what's going on. I'm not saying that you shouldn't tune in and know some of it someplace, somewhere. But some Christians, as all they do is watch the news nonstop, and it's ruining them. And these people are ungodly, and you're being influenced by the ungodly. You're walking in the counsel of the ungodly. They lie and wait to deceive. Christian, it's time for us to grow up. To grow up. You know, all the gossiping and backbiting and hurt feelings. Someone said this or did this. Listen, I, again, I've been mistreated many times. I know what it's like. It hurts. I've mistreated people and I regret it. I've made bad decisions and I regret it. But back to being hurt. At some point, you just have to let it go and you just have to move on. We not be children tossed to and fro. Why do we have the church? What's the vision for 2021? We need a church that has a vision of unity, a church that has a vision of ministry, a church that has a vision of maturity. Number four, a church that has a vision of purity. Of purity. I think of Achan. Achan, who went into Jericho against the command of Joshua and took the goodly Babylonian garment and the shekels of gold and, and silver and hid them in his tent. And then the men at Ai that died and then Achan and his family that were buried under a pile of rocks for their sin. Now, I don't know if there's a direct application from Achan to 
churches, but I wonder if the, church, the, the sin that sits in the heart of someone here in this church is keeping us from reaching our potential for the Lord. We're not going to take the time to do so this evening, but let me encourage you later on your own time to read from verse 17 in the chapter all the way down to the end, down to verse 32. What is Paul exhorting the church to do? He's exhorting them to get a vision of purity. Letter A, notice corruption. Corruption. Let's look at just a small portion of those verses. Look at verse 17. We'll read down through verse 22. The Bible says, This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that you henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk. That means you're not impressed with the worldliness of those around you, the culture around you. Look here. You're not participating in that. In the vanity, emptiness, the, 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 the silliness of their mind, having the, their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, who being uh, past feeling have uh, given themselves over unto lasciviousness. That's just a whole licentious, wicked lifestyle to work all uncleanness with greediness. There's that love of money being the root of all evil. But ye have not so learned Christ. If so, be, uh, if so, be that ye have heard him and that uh, that uh, and rather and have uh, been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus that ye put off. Underline those two words in your Bible if you make a habit of marking in your Bible. Put off, that ye put off concerning the former conversation, the former lifestyle. Underline these next three words. The old man. Put off the old man. Put off the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. What are we putting off? We're like taking off a ratty, old, raggedy garment that's whole, uh, filled with holes and is, uh, is dirty and, and just uh, not worth wearing anymore. We're taking that off and we're laying it to the side. That corruption, that corrupt heart, that corrupt lifestyle. Listen, some of you in here have sins in your life that you've never dealt with. Their habits and their attitudes and their issues and you need to go back and and deal with that and confess that to the Lord and ask him to give you a corrupt start you need to put off those things let her be notice Christ Christ likeness a vision of purity we need to be a church that is Christ like that Christ likeness look at verse 23 the bible says and be renewed in the spirit of your mind verse 24 on talks about putting on the new man We put off the old man, we put on the new man. Look at verse 32. The Bible says, and be ye kind. What's the end result once you put off lying and anger and stealing and laziness and uh, malice uh, and all of the things listed from uh, verse 26 down through verse number 31? What happens when we lay all those things aside? What happens when we purify our hearts from corruption and we choose to be like Christ? What's that look like? What's the end game? Verse 32, that we're kind. Be ye kind one to another. The rudeness rolls off our spirit. We become tender-hearted. We learn to forgive one another. Even as God, for Christ's sake, there's that Christ-likeness, hath forgiven you. That's what that looks like. There will always be some impurities in all of us until we get home and be with Jesus. 
But can we have a vision in 2021 that we'll be more pure than we've ever been? Some of you maybe came tonight thinking I would talk about renovating the next part of the building or starting some new exciting ministry. You had your hopes up for those things. Listen, I want to do all those things. Pastor Lejeune's got big plans. I'm going to tell you right now, we are wasting our time and spinning our wheels trying to do those things without first learning to do this right here. Unity, ministry, maturity, purity. Individually, we all need to be better. And if we'll get better, then those other things, they just kind of happen on their own. Amen? Let the church arise. Let the Christians in the church arise. And let's be godly. Let's make 2021 a year where we get our own vision in order and we choose to follow and obey the Word of God. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed. I don't know how the Lord worked in your heart tonight. Which of those four areas where you need to grow? But would you ask the Holy Spirit right now to show you? The vision He has for you in 2021? Maybe it's just asking God to take away your hard heart and give you a tender heart again. That forgiving spirit, that unity. We cease to be those individuals and we become as a church that perfect man. Jointly fit together. Every joint supplieth. What is it for you tonight? The Holy Spirit of God said, yep, yep, right there. That one's for you. Will you have a tender heart tonight and ask God to help you make the changes you need to make? To give you that vision and that you'd pursue it this calendar year? Lord, pray, I pray tonight you'd help us. Help each one of us here. Lord, to catch the vision you have for our lives. Help us, Lord, to be a church that's unified, a church that's spiritual and prayed up and devout and devoted. Lord God, lead us, guide us, help us. Lord, tonight, help us to make decisions that matter. In Jesus' name. Let's stand to our feet with our heads bowed and eyes closed.